Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Transplant's Take on Sport. My name's Lewis Daniels, and today I'm joined by heart and kidney transplant recipient and transplant Team GB multi-sport athlete, Jade Carr. Jade opens up about what she can remember about her childhood heart transplant, as well as her more recent kidney transplant experience that included time on dialysis. Jade has taken part in table tennis, badminton, sprinting, and javelin, amongst other events, at the British, European, and World Transplant Games over more than 20 years. So please stick around to the end to hear more about her sporting achievements how it feels to represent Team GB, and other stories from the games. We also discussed writing letters to live donors, and there's a video linked in the show notes that explains more. And if you'd like to follow the podcast on social media, all the links will be in the show notes. Jade Carr, welcome to Transplant's Take on Sport. Hello. You are a heart transplant recipient and a kidney transplant recipient, a double transplantee on the podcast. Uh, off the top of my head, I can't remember if we've had one of those before. You're also <laughs> a, a multi-sports person competing at many, many transplant games, both British and world. But we'll go yeah. right back to the start of your story on to, or before we go on to that, uh, listeners, you may notice a slight difference in the audio, whether that be for better or worse. Uh, I've changed room. I've, you may have seen on Instagram, I've started soundproofing the spare room. Uh, more may be needed. So if this is a bit echoey or slightly different to usual, please bear with me uh, and that will fix, get fixed as soon as possible. But going back to your heart story, Jade, when did you first find out, when did your heart problems first start and how much were you, were you aware of them? Um, so I actually have a heart transplant when I was only three. So for me, sort of memories of that time or anything before that just sort of don't exist for me. So anything that I've either sort of experienced or have, um, I've learned about my transplant and my ill health before that, I've all come through. My mum and dad sort of tell me what happened. But um, I was actually born with a congenital heart condition called dilated cardiomyopathy. Um, if you'd like me to explain it, I will. Let's go for it. <laughs> so it's... If you imagine sort of the size of a normal heart is like they always describe the size of your fist. So a little three-year-old heart's really, really tiny, but the condition makes your heart sort of really big and floppy. And they said mine was three times as big as it should have been. So you can imagine for a little three-year-old, that's really big and just wasn't working properly. Um, So yeah, like my mum and dad told me I was from birth, I was really poorly, just really sick, you know, wasn't eating properly, anything like that. I just wasn't very normal at all, um, so poorly. And I think it took up until I was two to be diagnosed. Um, you know, passed from doctor to doctor, no one sort of had a clue and anything heart-related was kind of passed by, really. Like, not, it never came up, up up until the age of about two. Um, and then, I don't know, I think I had my transplant when I was three, so there was quite a few months sort of on the, the waiting list to, to wait for my heart. How did your illness affect you and your family at such a young age? Well, surprisingly, although I said I was quite poorly, um, I was only talking about this recently this week with my mum and she said people would be so um, sort of surprised and confused because I was I'd run around all the time considering I had this like life-threatening heart condition. 
um, I'd be in the, the hospital going for a clinical to be checked and I'd be running down the corridor and the doctors would be like, oh my goodness, like no one would know that there's something seriously wrong with her. And <laughs> I'd be running around and everyone would be like, oh, look at her, she's running around. But then my mum and dad would tell me, oh, then I'd just like flop on the floor and be like, oh, I'm tired. <laughs> but like, I think besides that and being very ill and sort of sick when I was, I was very little, I, I don't really think it, it clearly did affect me that much, but you know, at times it did get, you know, very serious and getting the blue lights into hospital and things like that. But memory wise, I don't sort of remember any of those times, which I think is probably a good thing. <laughs> I was going to say as horrible as, as it is to go through something like that, do you think it's happened at the best time in your life? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, it's weird to think about that, isn't it? But I think having sort of transplants very young and as children, you sort of children have these sort of coping mechanisms where all like things with the brain, we just forget, or, you know, we have things that sort of block these memories. And yeah, I just, I don't sort of remember anything. So it's, it is better having things done when you're young. You mentioned that you were on the, on the waiting list for just a couple of months, which is quite short compared to, do you know what the, the average wait time for a heart is? Do you know what? I don't know. I should have researched this. Um, I think, yeah, I should probably know that actually, but um, I think I waited I know I waited about six months, um, but I think for children it might be slightly shorter than adults. But you know, I, don't quote me. <laughs> don't quote me. Uh, once it did happen, did everything go smoothly with the heart transplant? Have you been well since? As far as I know, um, yeah, I can't remember how many weeks I was in hospital for now. It's very different back then. I think all the transplants you were in hospital a little bit more, but everything sort of changed now, and you can be out in days. But um, I think I was maybe three or four weeks, I think, because, you know, they just sort of check it. Everything was all right and sort of stabilised and everything like that. Um, But no, actually, everything has gone perfectly. The only sort of thing that I've sort of had over the years is I had a pacemaker fitted sort of a few years later, maybe five or six years later. And I had that took out this year. So, you know, pretty perfect, I'd say, (laughs) heart-wise. When there may be people who are unaware of what a pacemaker is, um, would you be able to briefly describe what that did for you when you had it in? Yeah, of course. So um, I was eight when this happened. And I think I just noticed because uh, luckily after heart transplant, I was able to go to school and sort of live very normal life sort of post transplant. So I think I just remember sort of doing like PE and sort of like physical activity and things like that. And I just get like, I think I was really tired or I just sort of feel rubbish. And basically for me, my heart rate went really, really low. So it was about 40 beats a minute. Um, So the pacemaker for me sort of sped that up whenever it would drop that low, it would kick in. It wasn't like a a defib where it kind of shocks you, but it would kick kick, kick in and it would just give your heart a little zap. (laughs) (laughs) Just like shock it back to normal rate. (laughs) Going back to after your transplant, you said you were in hospital for three or four weeks. We had a listener question in on that topic Um, and listener questions today are going to be in in two small stages at various points in the podcast um, just because they're on completely different topics. Uh, If you'd like to get this question sent in and have me ask it on the podcast, you can do so by following Transplants Take On Sport on social media. Instagram and Facebook are at Transplants Take On Sport pod and Twitter is at TTOS pod. The day before recording, I will post on all of those saying who's coming on what the sports are, what the transplant is or are, if there's more than one in this case. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and also maybe maybe an achievement of theirs as well. Um, so if you look on that, there'll be a box on Instagram or you can go in the comments or you can DM on any, any of the social media pages and you'll have a chance to feature on the podcast. And the first one comes in from Oliver and he says, what is the recovery process and time after a heart transplant? Which is a question that I, I think I may have asked to Susie a few weeks ago on the podcast. But it's going to be different for everyone. What was it like for you? Oh, my God. Well, I don't know because, I was, like, saying it yeah. was so long ago, it's really – I don't really sort of have any, like, memory. So what was the specific question again? What was it? It's what about the, the, recovery, the like? recovery process, maybe more in hospital and outside of hospital, and the time yeah. it takes you to get back to – I mean, you may, again, you wouldn't have really known normal at that age. Really. <laughs> Is it something you've talked about with your family? Um, I mean – over the years, like we've been very open and always talked about things like that, but I don't know. It's just, we've always been kind of, you know, it happens, get on with it kind of thing. So it's never been 
I don't know. This is I feel like I should know this, but I know I sort of after my transplant, um, I feel like I was very quick to sort of recover, as in um, from pictures and things like that. I've seen sort of I was doing things a couple of days after my transplant, like I was, I don't know, I think I was painting and things like that on the ward and um, getting up and they used to have like a little jeep kind of thing like you know remember the motorized jeeps and cars you used to have when you were little it was one of those on the ward and I absolutely loved it and like the nurse would take me around or the the play specialist would take me around the ward and I absolutely loved that so I was doing those things very quickly which um I've seen from pictures and then all in a sort of post-transplant I think this is general for everyone sort of first few months six months to a year I think you're just supposed to be very careful with going out protecting yourself because after transplant our immune systems are just shot aren't they so we've just got to sort of be very careful um and I think um I've been told like mum said that you know you can't kind of like we've been doing this year you kind of quarantine yourself a little bit just sort of you know taking care and you just take natural steps to to going out again and building that immunity and for me four months after transplant five months I started school so think i was okay <laughs> i suppose at that age as well it's gonna it's a different recovery process because you're not being told to walk this far or do these exercises yeah. afterwards you're only three and again at that age and um, you i suppose you you listen to your body maybe more than you would as an adult because it, yeah as a toddler is it still a toddler at that age uh if you, I'd say if, so. you do, if you're not if there's something you don't feel like you can do you're not gonna you're not gonna do it like like when babies yeah, cry like, when something's yeah. not right exactly um so I feel like obviously but also at that age sort of your mum and dad are like looking after you a lot aren't they kind of thing as well so if they don't think you can do it they're not going to sort of force you and things like that especially so close after transplant but I feel like you know if there was anything I ever wanted to do you know I was allowed to do it or I was allowed to give it a try kind of thing so um even just even though I've had the transplant, it's, it sort of didn't really restrict me very much at all. That's good to hear. And with with any childhood transplant story that's been on this podcast, it's all we're always talking about memory of that time. How much can you remember? Which could because you, no one tends to remember that much from when they're that young. I mean, this it no. might be a long shot asking this question, but how much do you remember about the feeling of receiving a new heart? Oh my goodness! Do you know what? Well, like we've said, I don't really yeah. know, and. That- I don't know. I mean, like we said, the whole experience is kind of a good thing to have not remembered such an awful time. Um, but I don't know. I feel like there's a memory I do have, and I've forgotten what it is now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do know, I think this is probably just from repeatedly being told, but straight away, sort of, as I was coming around from my operation, um, the first thing I, I asked for was a McDonald's. <laughs> a McDonald's and, um, and lemonade, so... Yeah, that's what I, uh, oh no, it was a Coke, one of them anyway, obviously the healthiest option, but <laughs> <laughs> they were like one of the first things I'd had after my transplant, so, um, but yeah, I, you know, it would be nice to have remembered some little things, but <laughs> like the good things, but. <laughs> in a, in a, as, as you say, in a way, it, it probably is a good thing that you don't remember that much of it. Yeah, because I imagine, you know it's traumatic isn't it like well for anyone transplants are traumatic but it's the big one as well yeah <laughs> well yeah for children I mean no no child should go through things like that should they so like we said it's a good thing we don't <laughs> <laughs> it's the sort of thing you probably appreciate more as you get older and on that topic I saw that you'd written a letter to your living kidney donor which we'll come on to later yeah. in the podcast have you ever managed to get in touch with the family of your heart donor um unfortunately not so I've considered myself writing sort of later in life now having done so for my uh, living kidney donor um but I do know my mum and dad had wrote a letter uh, themselves all them years ago um but I don't think they ever heard anything back so I don't really know what the process was back then you know it's, everything's so different now and there's a the protocol for sending letters and everything as it is now but um yeah, I don't sort of know what happened. It was just that, like, I've been told that they did it. So, um, but yeah, unfortunately, there was no reply. But, you know, everyone's different and yeah. people cope differently with these things. And yeah, it's totally understandable if they, you know, 
didn't want to write their own. It's traumatic. It's traumatic for both sides. Completely. Yeah, definitely. Now, on to, on to more sporting aspects. You had your heart transplant at three. The, the point where a lot of kids just want to run around and do whatever <laughs> they can. Were you sporty at school? Um, yes and no. Like, I don't remember, like, I don't really know how it came about that I just, it's like sort of what I feel like looking back one day, I was just like, I just went really competitive in sport. But um, when I was young, I don't sort of remember, like, doing loads. But I did, I was on, like, you know, netball team in primary school and then did a bit in high school. And then I did tag rugby as well. I was, uh, I think I'd say, yeah, I was probably a bit of a tomboy. I did, I did like sport. I didn't sort of dislike it. And I did, like, take a part in, in sports and things. But, um. I was, you know, like a lot of kids, they've always got clubs to go to when they're little and stuff like that. It wasn't like that. It was only sort of when I got to high school and, um, yeah, like sort of a couple of my friends were in sports clubs then and then that's how I sort of developed into competing. I reckon you're the youngest transplant sporting athlete that I've ever spoken to because you went to the British Transplant Games quite soon after you transplanted, didn't you? Yeah, and I think I've said this before, but some would probably say illegally. <laughs> <laughs> So I I started going to the British Games only four months after my heart transplant. And I think they've always recommended six months. So, yeah, don't tell anyone. Is <laughs> <laughs> it only have many people listening to this? <laughs> yeah, so if there's anyone listening, uh, sorry. <laughs> How I'm still did... going. I still go every year. So, you know, it did me good. <laughs> How does that differ compared to competing as an older child, teenager, and an adult? Um, I think... For when it, when we did it or when we went as uh, when I was little, uh, we were invited sort of by the the hospital team. So there was people on the ward and the nurses and things like that, and they were the ones who took the team to the games. And it was more of a social aspect. And it was, I mean, you know, a little three four year old kind of thing. And they were like, you know, it's good to meet other people who've had them. Like, you know, you don't want to be seen as you know different. You know, you just want to be normal and things like that. So, yeah, we were invited uh, to go to the transplant games and, you know, it was, it's a bit of a holiday, it's a break and you're meeting so many people that have also had transplants, you know, and there were, there were kids my age who'd had them and, you know, you do a little bit of sport or running around, whatever. And then, but the, the main thing back then was social, but as I got older, I just got horrendously competitive. <laughs> <laughs> We'll we'll come on to that a bit more now. You've com- been competing at the <laughs> Transplant Games British World since 1997. Yeah. Roughly how many have you been to? I've been to uh, three oh, bit British Games, a countless, so however many since 19, 1997 till now. But, you know, we've got we've missed three years, haven't we, with mm. COVID? So um, I think the only one I'd missed in between was... Um, there was one where I was really ill before my kidney transplant and I still went, I was in hospital. It was like the Liverpool games. Um, and I was in hospital and I was wheeled out of hospital to go to the open <laughs> ceremony <laughs> and then the gala dinner. But um, I've done all those British games and I've done three worlds and three European heart and lung transplant games. It's an impressive achievement to, to, to go to that many and just shows how well your transplant has been performing and the power of having a transplant at, at such a young age yeah. as well. Yeah. I mean, you know, organ donation works, doesn't it? And it's, I've literally up until sort of the kidney problems, I'd led a very normal, healthy life. So what more could you want really? And then bonus being able to do the games and, and doing what I've done there. I've written down a few of your events, or most of your events, <laughs> as that you've done over the years, or that you that you told me you've done over the years. 100 metres, ball throw, badminton, table tennis, 4 by 100 relay, javelin, which I believe was later on. Yeah. How did it come to choosing those events? Basically, I'm just really indecisive. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got to, as you sort of go through the games, you know, there's, there's like age categories and my first British games I did when I was I was four, the events were the welly throw and the so you start small with the running. So it was like 25 meters, which when you watch at the British games now, like as an adult and looking and watching the little kids, oh my goodness, it is oh, it's the cutest thing. Everyone, you look around, everyone in the stand is crying. 
it is the most wonderful thing to watch. But back then we'd call it the 25 meter drag because it's not the little kid that wants to win. It's the person who's helping like the mom or the dad <laughs> or the nurse, you know, the dragging them along. Like the parents <laughs> race at sports day. Well, that's literally what it is, yeah. So they're just being the little kids just like dangling on the arm behind, getting dragged. <laughs> so 25 metres would go up to 50 as you got older. A bit older, you'd be, become the 100 metres. So that's sort of where I've started doing the 100. I hated it at first, but then I started to win and then I liked it. <laughs> um, just by becoming a bit fitter. And then I did that and then you gradually you'd be allowed to do more events as you got older as well. So, you know, I did the long jump and ball throw. And um, once you were an adult, you were allowed to do javelin. That's where that came in. And then as an adult, I'd go from singles in the the badminton and you do doubles as an adult. And yeah, just loved it. Were you regularly taking part in all these events in preparation for the games? And yeah. how, how do you prepare going into a transplant games? So at one point, um, this is when I, so I, I got to about 11 or 12 and uh, I, I performed really well at the British Games and this was sort of without training. I think I'd just become a bit fitter by, by you know, school or whatever. And then, yeah, I just, uh, I did well in my events and I think I'd, I may have won a, a trophy at the British Games or something sort of best, best child athlete or girl of my age group. And then I got selected for the World Games um at 13 and it was kind of the point like wow this is big this is a world games I'm gonna have to train now so there's just this switch and it was like finding clubs you know finding places to train to do things to become fitter and better um and then at one point I was training eight times a week (laughs) I was doing like doubles on one night you know um going the gym personal training once I'm on badminton sessions just the whole lot, athletics training, and then I'd get individual coaches there doing long jump and things like that. So it was uh, it was full on, um, but this was all at the time of, you know, sort of really important years at school. And then sort of after my first Worlds, the second ones I got selected for was like GCSE year. And it was just like, I just kept it all up. And thinking back, I'm like, oh my God, like, how did that even happen? But yeah. <laughs> oh, it's good that you're still able to do it through the the more intense years at school as well yeah and you've, you've been quite successful at the games i don't think it's i don't think it's inaccurate to say that <laughs> where do you keep all your medals that you've built up over the years how how many medals do you think you've really won embarrassing i i think i think now it's like over 50 or 60 that's got to be nearly um, that's got to be I, and I don't know but that's got to be near a record i don't know it must be it, i mean there's people lot. that have been going the games longer than me so that's still go so they'll probably have more than me, but it's really embarrassing that I keep them in a box. Not like a cardboard box, but, you know, like a little metal on the clips on, but I, I think I do the, the same. Day, which is just really sad. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's an achievement to be proud of. So I, I, I'd probably do the same. It's something that you treasure as well, because you know, you know where you've had to come from to get to that stage. Yeah, definitely. Um, like more recent ones, sort of, after having my kidney transplant, they're in they're in the drawer that are uh, they're sort of you know more recent ones that I can access. But <laughs> yeah, the the rest of them are in a box, and I've always wanted to display them to look at them. But there is a hell of a lot of them. But you know, you you can get like a pole kind of thing and like dangle them all off. But I just it would have to fill a wall. Like <laughs> you need a lot of nails. <laughs> yeah. We've mentioned the the kidney transplant and kidney problems a few times now throughout the podcast. So let, let's yeah. move on to that. And when did you find out that you you might need a kidney transplant? Um, so I was diagnosed at the age of 17, just about to turn 18. So that was another big year. So it all happened, all of these big, big sort of milestones in my life. It tends to be um, the case. Of course. Um, and I think it was at the point I was at college Um, And I had the diagnosis and it was the point of choosing unis. So I'd got into, I was, because I'd I'd been enjoying sport and everything. That was the path I wanted to go. Like I was so into my sport Um, and I'd been selected to go to the the five big unis for sport. And I had to decline them all. (laughs) Decline them all um, because they told me I would be too ill to move away. And, you know, it would be down the route of dialysis and things like that. 
unless I had a you know live donor and things like that which um wasn't to be at the time because my my mum was a match but like I mentioned at the beginning with the congenital heart condition my mum's got the same condition that's right. where it had been passed on from so it was kind of a like detrimental then for her she yeah. was not allowed to donate for her own health and then my dad wasn't a match so there was sort of these added complications and um yeah so it was at this sort of really important time where sort of everything was going on and yeah it was awful <laughs> do you know what caused the kidney failure um yeah so I don't usually like talking about it just because I don't want to make people feel bad because for me it was the the medication I take for my heart transplant. Um, so because I'd been taking them for so many years till then, they'd become so toxic to my kidneys um, that they just sort of killed them off. So I think it's a, it's a valid reason to to not want to talk about it because people. Yeah, I don't want to worry people. That's the point. Yeah, I can remember reading it on the side the packaging uh, of my medication. Yeah. Um. And it's saying this this medication may cause kidney disease, kidney failure. I was like, well, I've had that once. <laughs> like, why are you trying to give it me again? <laughs> but it, it's, you get to the point where um, that with with everything that people like us have been through having transplants, you trust yeah. the doctor to know that they, they're only give, oh. they're going to give you the, the or try and give you the right dose. To not cause yeah. any more problems. So just if, if anyone you, is you balance it, don't you? You've got to weigh up the, the pros and cons of actually what's happening and you know, pros of it, you you're still living, you're gonna be, you know, you've got a new kidney or cons, you don't take the medication and it just goes backwards. Yeah. So you have to weigh that up and you know, like you said, the doctors are doing the best thing, so you've just gotta go with it. <laughs> if anyone is concerned when they've read that or if you hadn't read it before and you heard it for the first time today, please do trust your doctor. They they know what's best for you, and all all medication has potential side effects. You're yeah. not going to experience all of them necessarily. No. Uh, some people will, some people won't. So valid point. Trust your doctor. Yeah. I know that. Yeah, it's important to mention that. So sort of what's happened to me won't happen to the next person. You know, won't happen to you. Won't happen to someone else or. You know, someone who needs a transplant, you know, they've not, they can't be thinking about that in the future because it might never happen to them. So if they need a transplant, you know, transplant's the way to go. It's not, you can't think so far in the future, like, oh, what if that's going to happen to me in 20 years? Like, it just might never happen. So, yeah. Live life. <laughs> <laughs> how did, how did the kidney failure affect your ability to play sports? I know, it, I know it did for me. And there's, there's ways that you can adapt to keep going. To a certain extent yeah um which I ended up doing so like I said my diagnosis was when I was at college and I just sort of noticed myself sort of I remember the point actually and like looking back and I remember I was obviously I was training like I was still training for the next the world transplant games and I just stopped improving and I was so tired and I was just like you know what's going on here and um so I, I, it just that was the point where, at, like looking back, that's where I think think something had happened or whatever. But um, yeah, so sport wise, I was at college and doing things, and I'd I'd get tired, and it was kind of my iron was low, so I'd have to be getting like the EPO injections and things like that. Um, but gradually, one by one, I'd stop doing my training. I'd have to stop sort of the intense ones. So first, I'd stopped. I think it was my badminton or something because that was just really full on and it was kind of like you know I'm gonna have to stop this because it's just tiring me out so much then it was sort of the athletics I'd be like I could continue like field events because they were kind of like standing things or whatever or but the running and the sort of I'd be doing um can't remember what they're called now but basically just doing like either laps and laps or just sort of going back and to doing like sprint training and that was just the worst so I just had to stop that um and I could keep up my table tennis you know standing standing still things like that so that was sort of how I managed it but the sport and the British games were what kind of kept me going as well because I knew I always had the games to go back to so it was kind of that focus in the future for me to sort of keep going Def yeah definitely with your t with your sports being mainly individual sports Aside yeah. from the doubles ones, did that make it harder to adapt? Because I know with with my 
sports that I played at the time, cricket and football. Cricket, I'm still playing yeah. football. I'd like to get back to again. I've joined the team, transplant team, um, oh, God. to to deal with that. But because they were team sports, I could work with my captains and coaches to yeah. maybe use me more sparingly. And then yeah, you could adapt yeah. that way. But with yours being individual sports, did that make <laughs> it, it just more difficult? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like like you were saying with you on a team, you could just be like used a bit less, couldn't you? I mean, you pass the ball to someone else and you don't have to be used, just float around in the back. But with me, it was just all me. <laughs> um, but as like that point, becoming an adult and going to the, the games as an adult, it changed the badminton, would change to badminton doubles. So I had half the half the work to do. So that was all right. So I think for a year or so, I did continue that one. Um, but you don't do singles as an adult uh, at the British Games anyway. So, you know, I didn't have that to worry about. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, I just not do as much running around on the court. But uh, it's hard because, you know, like I, I loved all my sports so much. And, you know, to give them up was hard as well, especially more like mental side, you know, it's definitely that was that's what I, I love doing so much. Um, but yeah, as well as like competing, I was a table tennis coach and so I still am um, now and again. But I am um, that was sort of something I could keep doing because as a coach, you can just get away with standing on the side. <laughs> um, and I'd be doing like assisting and things like that. So I could still be in the environment, even though I wasn't physically sort of competing and taking part myself that, that was something i was going to mention because that, it's a similarity in both of our stories in terms of sporting kidney failure yeah you were the table t- tennis coach and i did a cricket coaching course when oh, my wow. kidneys were almost had almost failed yeah and it's it's a way to stay involved and for me i don't know if you were thinking the same way maybe it's just when you have that you sometimes have the the darker days and the darker thoughts sometimes with me it was also maybe again more because it's a higher impact sport that I hadn't asked a question if it was something I could continue doing after my transplant um but it was a way to stay involved long term completely yeah so even if however long you were going to be poorly for if you could still maintain you know being a coach and standing up (laughs) and being there you know that's like you said it's that way of being involved and you know it's good for your mental health as well by keeping involved in what you love even if you can't compete. I mean, I sort of went um, and sort of took on more coaching and things after sort of my kidney transplant. I enjoyed it so much and I loved I loved doing it. So even though, I mean, I took, and then less competing side. So that's sort of what I've always wanted to do with the coaching. So it there was, and by doing that, it benefits you in the long run. You know, you've not just been sat at home feeling sorry yeah. for yourself. You've sort of kept yourself busy doing something um and just keeping involved is table tennis coaching something you've brought into the transplant games team a little bit yeah um so i'd always i always like sort of helping out people and things like that um and i'd help out with the kids when i was sort of moved on to adults i'd stick around because i just love watching all the events and things um and then got to a point where i was appointed the table tennis coordinator at the at the games and there was sort of all coordinators for different sports and we'd have little meetings and stuff um, and just sort of see how we could develop the areas in those sports um, and I became sort of this is also sort of during dialysis and when I couldn't compete I then also coached one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. With the World Games team, so I was sort of captain and I'd sort of help out with the um, the coaching and sort of doubles partners and things like that and you know do the world games training meets and help people that way and like you said this is still going back to what we said about coaching it's just keeping involved and I still I never sort of lost touch with going to the world games even though I couldn't physically go away to them I was still going the meets and helping out and being involved and yeah important to you know stay involved and keep yourself going and have you be motivated and something to look forward to again in the future as you said earlier it's it's mentally as well you stay around around the people that you're going to be that, that you've known over the years that you've gone to yeah. previous games with yeah definitely and over the years I wouldn't even sort of call them friends anymore it's family so you'll get that that feel sort of if you come to the games in the future that it's it's family sort of we've all no matter so what transplant, we've all been through the same thing. Um, sort of, we all we all sort of know what we're all talking about, whether it's meds, sort of what you're feeling, you know, hospital things, and you know, we all go through the same things and similar experiences. So, um, we all become very close, and yeah, we've got a little bit of a family. So, I'm going for so many years as well. It just brings everyone together, and everyone just loves going back each year. Table tennis is the sport that I was going to pick in twenty uh, twenty twenty. That seems a long time ago. In Coventry, before that was cancelled. So yeah, uh, yeah. When was that? <laughs> I was, was, was going to start training, uh, but that that hasn't happened yet. So hopefully, in the, in the new year, ready for Leeds. Definitely sounds like a good group to be around. Yeah, definitely. And obviously, British games, you're all sort of competing against each other and 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 things like that. But then it just completely changes like when you go to the world like, and it's just everyone's together yeah. and you just have this big sort of family feeling yeah, everyone supports each other even though then you do sometimes compete against each other there but you know <laughs> really good like camaraderie and stuff like it's just a great group of people to be around and you know so comfortable everyone being through similar experiences and yeah it's great <laughs> you can tell how much that group the group of people, the family feel, and also competing and uh, playing sport means to you by the fact that you went to the British Transplant Games and competed while on dialysis. Yeah. How was that? How difficult was that? I don't know how that, that <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, so I remember I was. it was when I was on PD, and I think I'd sort of started with enough time to sort of, you know, settle on it and things like that, and then when the, ta- the time, like, the, the game's coming round, I thought, oh, I think I'll manage this. And <laughs> I didn't run because that was like, that's a bit dangerous. Um, but I think I did sort of throw in events. And I did I even, I managed badminton somehow, I think, I'm sure. And I did, I did table tennis as well. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't really know how I did that, but I did. And I'd be carrying around a backpack um, with my stuff in it and, with my fluid and I'd have little breaks and <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't know how it happened. We spoke off air beforehand. You've been on both types of dialysis, hemo and peritoneal. And yeah. we've, we've talked about dialysis a lot over the course of the, uh, the episodes that have gone by, including yeah. the last one about the two different types. So we won't spend too much time talking about the how it works. Uh, people have, people will, will briefly, we can do hemo is generally i've I've not been on it i'll I'll let you do it okay um well i was a a little bit different you know as this whole podcast seems to be i just seem to be this just random one that just wants to do everything (laughs) (laughs) so i started with the peritoneal 
Um, and as we sort of said before about transplants, this doesn't happen to everyone. So I started with the peritoneal and then some people are very lucky and can go for years and years. Some people don't do very well on it and don't last very long on doing the PD. But I did all right. I lasted about three and a half years on it. I actually, I mean, enjoyed is probably the wrong word, but it suited me really well. But I got to a point where I was quite poorly and then I had to, I was actually very, very poorly. And then they kind of said, you know, it clearly doesn't seem to be working. I was in hospital and they had to transfer me to hemo. And being the complicated person I am, they tried a fistula. So that's the, with the needles going, they connect an artery and a vein and they create like a big, what do they call it? Like a vessel in your arm. And um, that's sort of the access for using dialysis. They tried to make one for me, but it just, <laughs> it just all went wrong. Um, and then they would, next option was sort of, they can do a line in the neck yeah. um, or the chest sort of a, you know, main access kind of thing. But then they <laughs> discovered that all of my, sort of things whatever what they're called like your vessels coming from my heart and everything upwards are narrowed because right. I've got my pacemaker yeah so it literally it was a nightmare so there was that and then the last option so for my access for dialysis I had a line in my leg so the top of my leg and it went to the I'm guessing it was the femoral artery I'm not sure I've heard that before so it's basically the same as when you have you know the catheter is in your it's either your chest or your neck yeah it's basically that, but in the leg. So it's the same access where it accesses a big vessel. But for me, it was the leg. And this is sort of last call kind of thing. They sort of said, if this doesn't work, then oh dear. <laughs> but it did. And I, I had a terrible time on it, to be honest. Like I said, this doesn't happen to everyone, but I was really poorly for the nine months that I was on it. And I'm very glad it wasn't for much longer. But um yeah, so I did that, and then luckily transplant came after that. And the positive <laughs> to take for people listening to this from your story there is that if one form of dialysis doesn't work, there there's a there's quite a few ways that you can do it. There's there's totally yeah there's totally options for you to go through. Um, it was I just like to complicate things clearly. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming on to the transplant that we've we've mentioned again like several times throughout the podcast uh that it did happen from an incredible yeah. act of kindness <laughs> yeah that um is maybe lesser known than the other methods of donation which i'll let you do the honors of uh of, of showing how special that is okay um so my my little story for my kidney transplant um i i'd actually because for transplant as we know you have to be a certain level of healthy and ill mixed together. So you have to be healthy enough to go through the operation, but poorly enough to need the transplant. And I'd got to this stage, I'd gone through a few weeks of actually being really quite stable and healthy. And my now fiance, boyfriend at the time, he was actually going to donate. And we'd gone through sort of the process and we were almost looking at booking a date. And um, at the time I thought I wasn't on the list. So I said, you know, I'm quite healthy. I said, is there any chance about going on the list as an option? Um, you know, keeping things open, you know. And I was on the list. And even more strange, because this never happens, a week later, I got the call. Well, it wasn't a call. It was a visit. <laughs> I had a visit on dialysis from the transplant nurse. And like you said, sort of this extra special sort of way, my kidney came from a live altruistic donor so that means the live donor was someone completely random um that wanted to donate and uh, that doesn't know me I don't know them completely unrelated and she wanted to donate a kidney and we matched like a week later after going back on the list it's a great story and as, as I said before you explained it it's something that a lot of people may not be familiar with I know there's a video that you sent me of you talking about sending a letter to your donor, yeah. uh, which I will, I'll put that in the show notes. So if people want to go and watch that, they can do. And you speak about that. And there's a couple of altruistic donors who yeah. talk about their experience of doing it. So if that is something that you're interested in doing, um, that's a good place to start to find out more. Um, 
and I'll see if I can find some websites that I may be able to link in the show notes as, as more on that. Uh, how did it feel to send a letter to your living donor? Um, it was it was unreal. Like it was nothing that I'd you know kind of planned or expected. So like when you think about having a, a kidney transplant, you don't automatically think you're going to get it from a living person, um, or any transplant. I mean, you know, different ones as well. Like you can get from from live donors, but that's just not something I expected. So it was so surreal to know. I'd be sending a letter to someone who's just walking around out there that had given me a kidney. Um, and it was just so surreal. Um, but amazing as well. I, it was incredible that I had that opportunity to, to thank someone while they're still here. Um, cause a lot of people, and obviously like with my heart donor, you, a lot of people don't get that opportunity to thank people in real life. Um, you know, in person um because they've sadly passed away but yeah it was unreal um I took a little time to write my letter um because I had a bit of a little bumpy road after having my transplant um so I wanted to make sure the time was right everything was okay to get my letter sent and I think I must have said thank you maybe 50 times in the letter (laughs) (laughs) just to make sure she knew (laughs) did you ever hear anything back I did. And like I said, it took quite a while to send my letter. She replied almost straight away, <laughs> which was lovely. Um, and her story is is lovely as well. So it was nice to get that reply. Um, and she's an incredible person. Absolutely incredible. Um, so yeah, it's nice to have had that little bit of contact. And sadly, in between this time, we've had COVID, but we've both expressed that we do want to meet. So it would be amazing one day that I could actually meet her in person. So, yeah. That, I can't even imagine how that would feel, meeting somebody who saved your life. I mean, I, I have, I've met someone who saved my I'm life, my mum. Yeah, I'm but... still there with her kidney and me like, <laughs> I've got your kidney. <laughs> it's like the the appreciation and gratitude I've got towards my mum for donating a kidney to me yeah. is, is, is massive. You just can't put it into words, really, can you, at all? But then to, not, to find somebody who who doesn't even know you has just come yeah. forward and done it. It must yeah. it was ridiculous, isn't it? Literally. And like, I think they're a little bit mad living donors, <laughs> but you know, just to, to go, do you know what? I'm going to donate an organ. And it's just like, how incredible. Like, it's just, just amazing. Like, I don't even think I could find, you know, the right words, but it's just, it is unbelievable sort of that they, it's the most selfless, you know, incredible, generous gift ever. And it's, it, you know, it's the gift of life, isn't it? Because without without them, you know, neither of us would be here, would we? So, yeah. And so many other people as well. Shout out to the living donors. <laughs> <laughs> Generally, how has it been going since then? Um. Okay. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, what the way I look at it is, like my my kidney function averages around 25 30%. So it's not incredible, but I look at it as you know 25 30% or one yeah. <laughs> 0%. So and then the fact of how I feel now compared to feeling like death on dialysis, like there's no comparison like I feel amazing. So I mean, I'm tired sometimes a lot of the time, but that's just normal. So, you know, the things I can do now that I couldn't do when I was on dialysis and in, you know, end stage kidney failure, there's no comparison now. Like, you know, I can do everything. So, well, maybe not everything, but <laughs> as good as. And how long did it take before you were able to play some sort of sport again? Um, I can't actually remember. I think... Maybe about eight or so, eight, nine months. Um, that was because I'd had this bit of a bumpy road. I'd had a, like, say this is another thing. Not everyone's going to go through this. I had a slight bit of rejection sort of a few months in, uh, which was reversible. So there's a, there is, you know, a couple of types of rejection. Look, I was very lucky that it could be reversed. Um, and I don't know about yourself, but I take, you know, steroids as one of the anti-rejection I don't. and stuff. So lucky I, I, I get that quite a lot whenever whenever i say 
That, I, I sort of st- I, I try and stay quiet unless deliberately asked. If someone brings up steroids, I won't go. Ah, I'm not on them. I'll, I'll just sit yeah. back. I know. I mean, you know, now I'm okay. But starting them, it was a higher dose, and it was the the mix of roid rage and hunger, like ravenous hunger. Um, yeah, <laughs> you can imagine what that was like for me, or what I was like as a person. <laughs> I did about a month, and it. it... I mean, yeah, you it, get that initial, don't you? And then you get knocked off. But I'd had the, yeah. It's a great treatment. The, the thing, the the benefits it has are great, but it's it's, yeah. it's some of the other uh, effects of it aren't aren't that pleasant. Yeah, I mean, like after the rejection, they they had to like bump that up, and yeah, it was a got the nice round face and the chubby cheeks to go with it. But um, yeah, very gladly reduced a lot down now and then like with going back to the sports so I'd got I got so far and I'd had like this you know I'd got pretty well like I was I was healthy and it was like right that's it time to to get back to something and then that was it then and I'd had this sort of little aim of going back my first games was going to be the European Heart Monk games which were 2018 so that's like three years ago now they were the first after I'd had my my transplant the year before and um yeah, me and my friend were going to go and we were like, yeah, girls holiday, we're going to have a really good time, Not if it, nothing too competitive and just had a great time. So that was kind of me easing back in. Yeah. And then I went to the the British Games the month later and got selected for the Worlds, amazingly. And coming on to that, you've been through an awful lot in your life, a heart transplant, yeah. kidney failure, kidney transplant, the, the, the bumpy road after that. Does anything top being selected by Team GB for a home games after all that I don't think so really like for sport yeah 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 that was that was amazing to be honest like it's almost like a full circle and like I was saying about staying involved in sport and with coaching and you know just trying to keep in there and knowing it was that always that motivation and then to have been selected it was just unreal like to especially home games like home turf up in Newcastle was was great how did that one go medal wise Oh God, you're challenging me now. <laughs> I can't remember what I got. It's awful, isn't it? Um, oh, I got a couple. Got, oh my God, it's really bad. I got a couple on the podium. Silvers and bronze, and I can't remember if I got gold. But oh my God, that's awful. <laughs> <laughs> I believe COVID for like memory loss or something because I just can't remember. It feels like forever ago. <laughs> I presume the answer to this question is yes. Have you got plans for more games? Definitely. Yeah, of course. I mean, I was happy. I was sort of hoping, you know, last couple were going to be going ahead, but you know, it just wasn't wasn't right, was it? So, I can't wait for you know the the right time for the next ones, and I'll definitely be there. So it'd be great. It'll probably be one of the best games ever. I think the next ones because they're going to be a lot of celebrating and making up for lost time. Absolutely. And we've got another listener question on the topic of uh, transplant mm. games. It comes in from ADM Executive Travel, who uh, is is quite a good way of getting a free plug, sending in a a question to ask. Um, At them. (laughs) uh, And the question is, I I presume there's a story here. Uh, Oh, no, because I know who this is. (laughs) Do you remember the car journey to transplant volleyball years ago? I'm I'm guessing there's a story behind this. They then put um, a laughing face and a beer emoji. Well, that's, yeah. So I can't remember how old I was, but for the drink thing, I'm going to say that I was underage slightly. Like I was not drinking, but I was um, escorted by a couple of fellow transplant um, friends, uh, a couple of older guys. This is one of them. (laughs) (laughs) And they were looking after me and had taken me down to the, what did he say? Was it the volleyball? Volleyball, yeah. Volleyball. And as a joke they pulled up on my drive my mum was like waving us off and he like puts a beer out the window like I think <laughs> I think the driver side though there was no drink driving but I think it was like he put a beer out saying yeah see you later and like sort of waving this beer around as he as we were on the drive and I was like oh my god but yeah fun times they're the uh they're all the satellite events that go along with the British games so you've got you know volleyball there's rackets tournaments and things and obviously you're involved in the the cricket as well that's another one yes but yes I do remember that (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah my mum had uh, my mum always reminds reminds us of that <laughs> <laughs> from one fun time to another it's uh it's the return of the the as yet unnamed quiz uh that, that came back last week it's 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 potentially very alan partridge uh but we'll see how it goes uh, so as a reminder of how this works, each week I'll ask the guest who comes on the podcast four questions based on a sport of their choosing, and yours, Jade, is athletics. Uh, the I'm four questions nervous. will consist of <laughs> one, which is higher question, one, true or false, one, what happens next, which uh, I will hopefully post on, I know people may be thinking again if they haven't listened to last week's one, how do you do what happens next on an audio-only podcast? Uh, I'll try and describe it as best I can. And then without violating any copyright laws, I will try and post videos on social media. <laughs> and the final question will be, a, who am I? And the aim is to score as many points as possible out of four. And I'll be keeping score as the podcasts go by. Now, Oliver set the bar quite high last week with a score okay. of four out of four. Although he did say that I set quite generous questions on the okay. UFC. So so I hope these will be just as generous. I, I mean, it, it, it may have influenced this week slightly. Uh, so... For your sake, I hope they're not too challenging, uh, but let's get into it. <laughs> Question one. It's actually not a witch is higher. It's a witch is taller. Oh. Is it the men's high jump world record set by Cuba's Javier Sotomayor in 1993 or the height of the tallest person in recorded history, Robert Wadlow? What was the high jump level? Uh, is men's... men's the, no numbers yet. Uh, oh, no numbers. Sorry. No, sorry, which is taller, men's high jump world oh. record or the tallest person in recorded history? Okay. Mm, the tallest man. Correct. Yes. Robert Wadlow, who is is no longer with us, sadly, uh, was 2.72 metres. And for those who that may mean nothing to, that's eight foot six. Oh, that's pretty tall. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the high jump world record is 2.45 metres, so not far off. Mm, not far. One out of but one. But I got it right, so that's all that matters. <laughs> I'm getting there. Uh, question two, true or false? Throughout the course of the 2008 Beijing Olympics, where Usain Bolt set a world record in 100 metres, he ate 1,000 chicken nuggets over the course of the 10 days he was in the athlete's village. True or false? I'm going to say true. It is true. Allegedly, uh, I know he loves a chicken nugget. A thousand chicken nuggets in ten, a hundred a day, uh, and he also completed uh, the hundred meter world record with one of his shoelaces untied. So imagine how fast he would have been on a balanced diet with his laces tied up. I mean, probably a lot faster, and without the chicken nuggets all you know built up inside. <laughs> God, they would have definitely weighed him down if there was you know a hundred before the event. <laughs> not, I mean, you, you may call it. That's a lot of share boxes. You may call it loaded up with protein, but I'm not sure if that's the, the, not the right probably more of a side effect really. to that than, <laughs> than good. Needs to look after them kidneys. <laughs> uh, question three, after a perfect start. What happens next? So, to set the scene, during the Rio 2016 Olympics, Japanese athlete, and I hope I pronounced the name right, Hiroki Ogita, is about to take part in the pole vault. And this is multiple choice. But what happens next? Is it A, he starts his takeoff, but the pole snaps, sending him crashing to the ground? Is it B, his attempt doesn't quite go to plan, knocking the bar off with his face? Oh. Or C, after a promising start, he failed his attempt as he knocked the bar off on the way down with his manhood? Oh, that's plausible. <laughs> um, I'm going to say... oh. I'm going to say A, because I feel like I remember a bar snapping somewhere. The baby was a bar snapping, but it, it wasn't It wasn't this man. No, uh, it was his manhood, wasn't it? Th yes, it was. Um, no! The, he, uh, it, I mean, it, it, he didn't take it well initially when he was, just, when he was, uh, when the media made fun of him and the journalist was laughing at him, but he, he yeah. saw the funny side eventually. Uh, he, he did yeah. slap the bar with his manhood on the way down, knocking it off. I bet that it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh I'm not sure what to say at that. No, I don't myself really, but <laughs> I'm just gutted because that's a point I've lost. I've tried not to go too crude uh, <laughs> with that one, but it's a funny video to get on, on social media. I know, yeah, I feel like, you know, we should have the video as as this goes posted up. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, get, I'll get it up. On the day it's released, this will be... 
When, when you're listening to this, it should be there. <laughs> Question four: Who am I? So this one, I'll ask. I'll give you four statements. Okay. And then you can have a guess. And then after, if that's not correct, you then get three more statements. Uh, yeah, three more statements with a guess after each one for a chance of a point. Okay. So this person is a sprinter. They were born in December 1995. Their 100 meter PB is 10.83 seconds, and their 200 meter PB is 21.88 seconds. And they are the national record holder in both 100 meters and 200 meters. Who am I? Oh, I'm thinking of the wrong person. Well, what what year were they born? 1995. Oh. I know. Also, well, I was thinking really old person. I don't know what other than ninety-five. Like they're younger than me. <laughs> um, okay, so ninety-five and the. Can you recap? So sprinter, born in December nineteen ninety-five. Yeah. I don't know how relevant these next ones are. Hundred meter PB is ten point eight three seconds, and two hundred meter yeah. PB is twenty-one point eight eight, and they are the national record holder in hundred meters and two hundred meters. Okay, I'm gonna guess. Dina Asher-Smith. You've got it. You've got it. Yeah! Dina Asher-Smith. You got it before. Wow. I tried to make that a bit harder because last week Oliver got Max Holloway, the UFC fighter, before I even finished reading the statements. So I tried to go a bit harder and then uh, make it increasingly more obvious with the extra ones. Was the next going to be... Because I was thinking, is it going to be a male or a female? So I'm going to... The next one, yeah. The next clue was in July 2015... Uh, they became the first British woman to run the 100 metres in under 11 seconds. Oh. And the fastest British woman in recorded history. That was another thing I was thinking is, is it going to be British as well? So, well, smash that. Is that two points then? So I can... <laughs> that is, that's three, three out of four, which when I when I eventually get a whiteboard, uh, will be somewhere in the setup so That'll I can refer good. back to it. So you, you're currently <laughs> second, but I imagine as the weeks go by, you'll be quite high up on that leaderboard. <laughs> I know. Because I'm it... just gutted. I mean, four would have been better, wouldn't it? <laughs> wrong with the manhood? I mean, you know, if I was watching this on a quiz show, you'd be thinking, why is that answer there? <laughs> I mean, it's it's only, it could only get stranger <laughs> as I discover ways to write questions. <laughs> they were good questions, I have to say. It's working. Very good. Quiz is working. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but... no, I like it. We just need a good name now. You need a good name for it. I'll have to get thinking. I might even put it out on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, it's been great to talk to you today and learn more about your your story that, as you said, is quite complicated and a, lot, a lot's happened over the yeah. years. Uh, one more question before we go, and it's the question that I ask everyone who comes on. Ooh, What's okay. one piece of advice you'd give to someone facing a transplant? Oh, that's hard. I wish I'd been able to prepare. <laughs> oh, my goodness. We're going to get um, a raw answer. Okay. Um, keep going. There we go. Keep going and think positive. Never give up. Um, I mean, look at me. <laughs> you've you've definitely kept going. And I'm, you know, I'm still here after everything. So, yeah, I think I say it all the time, just keep going. You know, it's there's doesn't it doesn't matter what's going on. Just keep going and keep keep digging. Like keep going because there's always a little tiny tiny light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> There we go, Jade. It's been a pleasure to chat to you today. Thank you for coming on. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. It's been really good. No, thanks for having me. It's been fun. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please do make sure that you share it with your friends, share it with your family. Go and shout about it in the streets, whatever you want to do. Um, We're now at the point where people maybe are visiting more often. Christmas is coming. You may be seeing your family. So um, if you've got a relative who's not that clued up on technology but has a smartphone, and you 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 could do this because it's free. Um, if you find find that person's phone, go onto a podcast app, whichever one that may be, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon. Search for Transplants Take on Sport, and press subscribe. It's free. It's a bit cheeky. It's free, but that will help the downloads, and then people might see it more on the podcast apps. And speaking of podcast apps, Apple Podcasts is the most used app to listen to the podcast to. So it would mean a massive amount to me if you could rate it five stars on there, uh, as that really does help bump it up in the listings and help more people discover it, more people than you think it might do. Um, if you don't think it's five stars, which 
Some people may not. That's absolutely fine. This one was. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather you told me if it's not five stars for the going on there and going, ooh, it's one. We'll, we'll get that down. Um, <laughs> if you tell me, I can, I can work to improve. Um, although this has been going nearly a year now, I am still learning. I would still like to learn more and take this as far as it possibly can. So if, the, if there's something you think could be improved, um, feel free to get in touch. If you'd like to get in touch, you can do so via social media, Instagram at Transplant Take On Sport Pod, Facebook at Transplant Take On Sport Pod, Twitter at TTOS Pod, or you can email transplantstakeonsport at gmail.com. Whether you just want to send a message, if you'd like to volunteer yourself to come on the podcast, then please feel free to do so. Or if there's someone who I should be getting in contact with uh, that you'd like to suggest, then you can do that. Also, thank you for sticking by the podcast. Thank you for supporting. Thanks once again to my guest, Jade Carr. I've been Lewis Daniels, and you've been listening to Transplant's Take on Sport. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 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 Mm